welcome to The Shipping Exchange, a brand new podcast that aims to explore the latest developments in the maritime industry, brought to you by the Honourable Company of Master Mariners and Maritime London, and presented by me, Graham Fisher. In today's episode, we're looking at crew welfare and the Maritime Labour Convention. A recent report on mental health stated that two-thirds of people will experience some form of mental health issue at some point in their lives, but for those working offshore, that figure is significantly higher. With an estimated 1.6 million seafarers worldwide, it's a devastating reality that many of these hard-working men and women are suffering from mental health issues. Sadly, the suicide rate among seafarers is rising, and despite the continuous conferences and discussions, the shipping industry simply isn't doing enough to support and maintain the mental well-being of those working at sea. The Maritime Labour Convention provides legislation on the medical support that must be provided for crew, yet most deep-sea and offshore vessels do not have a doctor on board. But until maritime legislation is changed to better support those at sea and address the issue of mental health, the problem will only continue to grow. In this episode, we will look at what more can and should be done to support seafarers. Should maritime legislation be updated to address mental health? And how can we better prepare seafarers for a life at sea? I'm joined today by three guests. Roger Harris, who's the Executive Director at the International Seafarers Welfare and Assistance Network. Holly Burkett, Communications Manager at the UK Chamber of Shipping and Charles Boyle, Director of Legal Services at Nautilus International. So let's talk about mental health in the maritime industry. Roger, is there a problem with mental health, do you think? I think, I think there, there is an issue around mental health for seafarers. Uh, the, the life of seafarers is different from shore-based staff. There, there are a number of factors that affect seafarers. The long voyages, separation away from friends and families, social isolation, the lack of shore leave. So I think all these factors can have a negative impact on, on the mental health of seafarers. But I also think now there's becoming more awareness around the issue of mental health in society generally, and the maritime industry has taken note of this. So Holly, when thinking about mental health, do you think it's seen as taboo to talk about it? Why is it that it's taken so long for this to become a topic of debate and people to recognise the, the problems surrounding it? I think in large part it's because it's taken so long for society in general to take um, to take notice of mental health issues, particularly as an occupational health issue um, within the workplace. Yeah, well, I think uh, I agree that there's been, you know, over centuries and maybe up until recent decades, there's been a big taboo about the mental health issues, you know, um, broadly within society, not just um, for seafarers. That seems to be opening up now and easing, and it certainly seems that, generally speaking, people are more willing to come forward for help. And um, I don't have any specific figures on me, but um, we do hear statistics in the press about those who will experience a mental problem sometime in their life. I think I heard recently up until about one in five people or something. So it makes one wonder how how widely that exists at sea, where the living and working conditions are more harsh than those ashore. Um, and the, the conditions that have already been alluded to, such as uh, isolation and long hours of work and fatigue, etc., is bound to almost, I think, make that figure higher at sea. There's such a broad spectrum. When we talk about mental health, I think the danger is that we use that as a catch-all. There's over 200 to 300 recognised kinds of mental health problem, and that could just be feeling a bit stressed at work, or that be, could be chronic depression, agoraphobia, um, all kinds of mental issue, um, health issues here, and it's um, it's kind of a misnomer to, to kind of put them all under the same roof, but unfortunately that's, that's what we have to do. I think in the maritime industry, another factor 
uh, unfortunately, is the uh, nature of employment, especially amongst uh, ABs and particularly from the labour supply countries that these seafarers are on contracts. And I think there's a fear, if you like, of a seafarer raising the issue about mental well, their own mental well-being in case they don't get another contract. Um, so I think moving forward, one of the really important things is that uh, if a seafarer presents with a mental health issue, that they are supported through that and they're not immediately put ashore or, or, or sacked. If, if a shore-based worker has uh, mental health problems, they can go and see their GP and keep it completely separate from their employer. A seafarer on a, a long voyage, you know, if he wants uh, medical help at all, then he f- he's going to have to let someone else on the ship know about it, so he's immediately bringing it into the sphere of the workplace, and that must be more inhibiting than just going to an independent GP ashore. We, you know, if we look at, say, the Maritime Labour Convention, there's provisions about healthcare regulation 4.1 of the MLC but it's all about you know it's mostly about physical health issues uh, you know what medicines to carry those who need to be trained in first aid and medical care under the STCW convention etc but I don't recall there being anything specific about mental health within that particular part of the MLC and perhaps that that should be addressed. I think when you look at the, the work environment for seafarers um, it you may, you know, you've made very valid points that it's not the same as working nine to five at an office or perhaps having a few late nights at work. It's not uncommon for seafarers to spend up to nine months at sea, and um, all this time, you know, they have a limited amount of internet access or shore leave, and they have families, they have friends, loved ones, children, and, and all of these individuals have birthdays, Christmases, holidays, and the notion of being physically isolated does, ha- in turn, have an effect in making you feel that you you are literally isolated in, in, in your own in your own cabin. Stress and mental health sort of go hand in hand and there's a lot of reports that have been done to show that stress in the industry is increasing. Um, what what do you think is driving this uh, increase in stress? Roger? I think one of the things that comes up, I think time and time again, is the uh, small number of crew aboard the vessels and also the, the pressure on them, uh, particularly uh, going into port when it's the busiest time on a, on a vessel and I think that's one of the factors and then uh, alongside that is the issue of fatigue and lack of sleep and I think any of us are sure if we don't have a couple of good nights sleep we, we get kind of kind of anxious or uh, testy and everything else and if you're on board a vessel and that's a continuing pattern I think that has quite a negative effect and some people can deal with it and others can't and I think there's a lot of studies now um, about sleep how important it is not just for, for your own physical health but for your mental well-being as well but I think it, it, it is one of the, two of the key factors that for fatigue and small number of crew. Mm. There's um, research ongoing at the Seafarers International Research Centre at the University of Cardiff into restoration it's not just about sleep but also rest and how you come to feel renewed after um, taking a a period of time off when you're not working and um, that can be simple things like um, taking shore leave. Um, I think Cirque ran a a study where I believe it's about 30% of seafarers said they only came ashore each month for a couple of hours but it looks like the research is suggesting that it could be beneficial to come ashore more often. It shows the the importance of the existence of an adherence to working time hours and you know hours of work and hours of rest. Um, it's, it's very important that these are taken seriously and any any uh, cases of um, you know forged records um, are, are basically addressed. Is that a prevalent issue, the, the forgery of um, ship's records? 
I don't have any hard evidence of it, but I've certainly heard lots of anecdotal suggestion of, I think the term used is flogging the log or something like this, mm -hmm. where uh, it's the, you know, in some cases there might be like two sets of timesheets kept for each person, one that breaks the law and one that doesn't. And um, I think that there probably is, um, you know, when you see daily logs and they all look exactly the same every day, the same time going on due to the same time coming off, then you wonder how that can be at scene. But I'm not saying it's a widespread problem, but I have heard anecdotal evidence that, that, that this exists. So if we look at a reports and historically, there's, um, from about 2004, it was said that merchant seafarers scored the second highest level of suicide rates amongst all professions around the world. So it's clear that this isn't a new thing. This mental health being a problem isn't a new thing. What's changed? Is it is it better reporting, better awareness? And if so, why why aren't we? Why isn't more being done about it? Ten years on, we've had we've had over ten years since this report was released. Holly, any thoughts there? Um, I I don't know if we've got any better at reporting. Um, the the U claims data from the UKPNI club, which is some of the best data that we have to go on, uh, revealing things like suicide rates at sea or mental health issues. Um, between 2006 and 2016, they only had 355 total mental health cases reported to them, which is about 35 or 36 per year. And I think that seems incredibly low considering the number of um, vessels to which they provide insurance. Mm. In terms of... Um, what, what's making it worse? Um, there's this kind of conflicting evidence around here. Actually, there's um, the Yale University have just done a study whereby they found that the seafarers that screened using the PHQ2 test for depression, it was 22%, which is roughly around the same rate as people on the shore. However, using a slightly different test, researchers at the Seafarers International Research Centre, they found that um, about 37% would screen positive for anxiety. It does seem to be a growing problem, but I don't believe that we have, that researchers have fully uncovered the picture of, of why um, things are getting worse or or if indeed it is getting worse. And those are those are significant figures. Mm -hmm. uh, you're yeah, looking true. to yeah. sort of minimum 20%, maybe up to a third, as Holly has said, you know. So those those are worrying statistics. Although um, in the Yale study, um, around 50% of seafarers reported they were usually fine day to day. But again, we've, we've kind of touched on the under-reporting, the um, not wanting to, to raise your hand as suffering from something. Can we rely on that survey? Uh, I were at a seminar last week, and one of, one of the key phrases uh, that, that stuck in my mind, someone said that sorry, if it isn't reported, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So I, I think there are issues of under-reporting. I think you know, there's a lot of discussion around, say, the rates of suicide. And no, I think, I think the honest answer is no one really knows at the moment because... Yeah. No, no one organisation collects the statistics. Uh, when someone's lost over, overboard, I think people maybe think you know, or know it, it's a suicide but won't report it as such because mm -hmm. of stigma or because the family won't get compensation mm -hmm. from, from the P&I clubs. And it won't be recorded as a suicide because there's no, uh, no evidence um, or maybe no evidence to, to say that it is. Mm. I mean, Roger, you, you raised a very interesting point earlier about there's a fear that if you do raise um, a concern... And then when you look that into the figures which you've said about on a crew of 20 or 25 on a tanker, for example, you know you could be looking at four or five individuals on board that ship that need support but don't feel like they can talk about it. So how, how can we encourage more individuals to put their hand up and say that they, they want to talk to someone? 
I think I think there's a couple of things. I think it's about stigma around the issue, and we've touched on that. I think in generally, in certain societies, there's more stigma than others. I, I was in Singapore recently, and on the back of public transport buses, they, they had people saying about their mental health issues. So I think in, in some other societies now, there's more openness. And I think the good companies will support people, and um, and as Holly said, there's a whole range of mental health issues and, and, and some that um, people overcome you know, w with a bit of support and help and others are a bit more serious. We need possibly uh, more medical intervention, etc. But, but it's about companies um, giving that support, saying we have an issue, have a bit more time, sure, go over that, but there's a job waiting for you. Or if you have a severe mental health issue, there the, the possibly is a... Um, uh, a, a job ashore. I mean, I know the the UK Chamber of Shipping and Nautilus and RMT have produced uh, quite good guidelines about mental health awareness, and there's a lot in there about what what companies can do. Um, and I, I think those guidelines should be followed worldwide. And I, I don't know if many companies have actually adopted them yet. I think it, it is very much a get on with it attitude at, at, at sea. You know, if, if it's raining torrentially and you're in Singapore and you need to take stores, you don't complain about the weather. You get on with it or tank clean and you get on with it you know the pressures that you face when you get in port perhaps you've been at sea for weeks and weeks and you have three or four inspections to be done over a two day period you get on with it and I think that perhaps that would you agree that it perhaps extends over into raising concerns about how you feel because you just think it's part of the job having problems having difficulties which there's nothing you can do about you get on with it so it's it, it just inadvertently becomes the same with mental health Seafarers probably feel as if they've no choice, but to get on with it, they just have to be there. There's no way off without them feeling that they're, you know, if they go for help, they will seriously feel that uh, they won't get another job again. Uh, certainly with that company, I mean, the, the pressures must be horrendous, and they just do not have that option to go ashore and see a doctor privately. I mean, because even if they got shore leave in a foreign port, how long is it going to take to get a visit to a mental health specialist? Mm. You know, an appointment arranged is bad enough in the UK. And also, I think there's a safety issue as well, that if someone is ha having trouble around depression, anxiety, and, and their mind's not on the job in a safety-critical role, then, then it endangers not only them, but, but the ship and other crew members. So mm. I think that's the other side of it. Uh, you know, and I take on the point that there is issue about you know, it's part of the job, this is what you signed up for. But on the other hand, mm -hmm. if people are having these issues uh, and not being able to do anything about it in mid-ocean, there is a significant uh, safety factor there as well. Um, I think that it's absolutely critical that you, that shipping companies, from the ship owner's perspective, um, look at mental health as an occupational health issue that is so closely related to safety. Um, Euronav, one of our members, um, one of the biggest tanker companies in the world, have, have done exactly that. They have found that um, what really helped boost morale on their vessels is by visiting the vessels regularly and, and f trying to forge a closer relationship between st shore staff and uh, the people on board the vessels so that people had a sort of common, a common cause that they were all working together around. It also helped them reduce the number of safety incidents that they encountered on their vessels in order to get the buy-in from ship owners um, in terms of getting them to take mental health issues um, among the workforce seriously. Getting that data and showing how closely carelessness uh, caused by people just simply stopping caring about themselves leads to safety incidents. So leading on from that Holly you mentioned about ship owners let's talk about costs then. It will cost money to have services available whether that's 24 hours a day seven days a week you know telephone lines. Who 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 should step forward and say 
we'll we'll take the cost. We'll take the burden of the of, of spending money. Charles, it, where does it where does it fall then on who should yeah. spend money? I think uh, it's not just one party. I think it's various parties. I think that basically to adopt a recent political phrase, we're all in this together. And I think that lots of parties should be working towards resolving this problem. Um, the ship owner certainly has a, a legal duty, you know, to look after the health and safety of its workers in general, physical health and mental health. It's good to see, uh, I think, a recent P and, recently a P&I club has taken a big interest in mental health as well. It's also good to see that the charities uh, play a very, very positive role here, but I feel as if the charities are punching above their weight. They don't have the funds of perhaps the, you know, the, the, the wealthier ship owners, but they're are doing an incredible amount of work. International regulation putting you know duties on various players to you know to come up to the plate and uh, deliver. For instance, Holly was right to mention the, the link between uh, mental health and safety as being critical. And in that sense, it's relevant that we see that the uh, in fact no coincidence that um, the forthcoming amendments in January to the MLC guidelines basically to recognise the. International Chamber of Shipping and the ITF's guidelines on eliminating um, bullying and harassment at sea. That's got to be recognised within a health and safety context. So that's where those amendments will sit um, when they come into force on the 19th of January next year. I think, I think in, as regards to those amendments on bullying and harassment that I mentioned, it's, it's important to point out that those are only related to problems caused by bullying and harassment. But mental health, um, you know, whereas they are relevant to mental health, they're not the only things that are relevant. We've already mentioned other things here today, like long working hours, commercial pressures, isolation, etc. So that's the first point to to make about the, the amendments is that only related to bullying harassment. You know, the causes of mental health are much wider than that. The MLC might be an appropriate vehicle for addressing. You know, out of the many ways we can address this problem, and we've, we've spoken about the various, various players that are contributing to it, like Shell, the P&I Club, Ice One. You know, hopefully good ship owners are, are, are recognising it more. Uh, again, the MLC may well have its part to play in that there may be scope for perhaps future amendments to address more positively the issues of mental health. I think we have to, we have to understand as well that companies are formed and operate to make a profit. And if we continue to amend legislation, amend the MLC to, to provide more services, then we have to be mindful of that. They can't spend all of their profits and, and revenue on, on just continuing to improve seafarers. It wouldn't be a business otherwise. So, mm-hmm. But also, you, you, can't, you can't over-legislate this, I don't think. The focus shouldn't be on regulatory compliance. The focus should be on improving mental well-being among their workforce because it translates into better safety incidents, which, may, which translates to a better bottom line because you're saving money on dealing with incidents that arise. So there is a kind of business case there that, that you know, if there is a seafarer who, you know, with health issues who affects other crew members or has to be taken off, then, then, then you know, there, there is quite a big cost to, to the P&I club and therefore to the ship owner. So there, there is a business case to, to ensure that uh, companies and P&I clubs and others do something about the mental health of seafarers. So Roger, leading on from that, you mentioned training for seafarers and preparation for going to sea. So to give you an idea, uh, from my perspective and my training, prior to going to sleep for the first time, I spent six months in college and you lived on campus and you lived in a single room, um, which was designed to at best replicate what it would be like at sea. But we still had unlimited Wi-Fi. We still had, you know, 150 people to go and talk to, you know, British food. You could go down the road to McDonald's or whatever, you know. 
So it, although it replicates in one sense, it doesn't perhaps replicate in what it will actually be like. So what can we do? What more can be done to prepare seafarers for life at sea? Um, for want of a better phase, I mean, I, I think there more needs to be done with the kind of softer skills, uh, um, preparing seafarers, making them more resilient, making sure that they're, they're aware of the conditions they're going to face. Like you said, that they're not going to have internet necessarily. They're going to be on long voyages. They're going to be cooped up with the same... 20 odd people, some of whom they may not get on with. So he's given the skills um, to, to cope with that. And I, th I think that the, there needs to be much more done in maritime schools to actually prepare people for that. And the, some people are doing it. Um, the, there's a wellness, sea, wellness at Sea program that the Solar Society is run, and that uh, I understand is in some colleges. And we've been talking to a couple of colleges. Uh, in UK and Ireland about what they've been doing and, and I think they, they want to do a bit more. In one college I, s I spoke to a counsellor and they said well they have about two sessions of about an hour and a half each to talk to the, the cadets about stress uh, see, and that, that's all they get basically so I, I think there needs to be modules that, that go through some of this and, I, and from our experience for instance around piracy if you're prepared then, then you can deal with these situations a lot better like if you're taken by pirates, if you know what's going to happen, not what's going to happen. I mean, I heard a case uh, of, of a UK cadet that went on a, on a ship for the first time uh, for their sea time and, and left after three hours, and that was with a, a good company. Uh, and I think, for instance, in India now, the uh, recruitment of seafarers, young, young cadets, uh, they're coming from the interior, they come from the rural areas, they, they haven't got a tradition of seafaring in those communities and I think um, there's a bit of an issue there of those cadets go, going to sea for the first time and not understanding what it is, so I think a lot more needs to be done. The suicide rates for uh, seafarers predominantly are cadets and more explicitly are Indian cadets and we're here in the UK, in London, talking about mental health. Are we talking about it on the international level which is required? I mean it's a globalised industry and my organisation, uh, we have a helpline that's an international helpline. And I think I think just coming to the issue about Indian cadets, I, th I think there was a P&I club that said, actually highlighted that issue about suicides, and it seems to be anecdotally an issue, particularly with younger seafarers, but particularly with Indian seafarers. I mean, partly, uh, I think the suicide rate in, in India is, say, higher than the Philippines, but I think there's lots of pressure on these young cadets. Uh, families have taken loans out. Um, the extended family is dependent on, on that cadet getting a career at sea. And there was one incident off a ship off Singapore earlier this year where uh, a, a young Indian cadet committed suicide because they, they, they discovered that they didn't like the life at sea. It wasn't for them. And because of the shame and because of the money the family owned, he couldn't see any, any other way out. So I, th I think some of those, if you like, societal issues you know, are, are, do come into the seafaring uh, community as well, so it, it is trying to sort of fact, you know, what are the additional factors as we talked about before that affect seafarers? Yeah, I think there's a very another tragic case as well in which uh, it was a UK seafarer um, committed suicide whilst at college, and from those that were there, it was sort of portrayed as a way that you know it's very sad, it's a tragedy, but nothing was changed in the college there. The, the, the awareness, the raising of the awareness, the, the telling people what services were available. It was just a case of this has happened, it's very sad, but full mm. stop. What could the college have done differently, do you think? I think from those that were there, it was very much a case of rather than just saying 
that these tragic this tragic event had, had occurred, it should have been continued to say, if you are feeling that you need to talk to someone, if you're feeling stress, you're feeling pressure, particularly, you know, as, as a seafarer, the, probably the most stressful time in a seafarer's life is leading up to your oral examinations. There should be a particular, I think, an onus on when you're there in college for that last phase, you should have like you said, with training and raising awareness, Roger, um, you know, modules or time each week rather than just saying it's happened and, and, life, and life goes on because, yes, life will go on, but it doesn't mean life has to stay the same. I think for everything that's... that's um, we've done a good job of um, producing, I don't know, legislation or guidance and all of these paper-based documents that talk about the issue of mental health, but in the end what we really need to do is open up those conversations and empower each other to... To, to just simply ask, how is your day going? How are you really, you know? I'd also... Um, it'd be good if uh, everyone's also trained to look out for potential problems in their colleagues and perhaps have a system for where they can go and perhaps report concerns. Obviously, there's issues about confidentiality, but perhaps some guidelines can be produced to, um, you know, to facilitate this. Uh, there could be mentoring schemes where the seafarer perhaps feels he's got someone in particular to speak to about problems, uh, you know, a more experienced seafarer. But again, a, a lot of the problem might come down to if he's in, you know, out in the middle of the ocean, doesn't have contact with that men- mentor. Uh, and, and again, a lot of this comes down to the unique employment conditions of being on this, the, the, this thing called the ship, which is both their home and their workplace. 24-7 for, for several months. Um, you just cannot compare it to being on shore, uh, you know, in the context of a developing mental health problem where there's many, many facilities available. Yeah, I mean, just turn it around a bit as well. I mean, I think one of the things, you know, now, now the, there's a focus, you know, more awareness about mental health is also looking at people who don't necessarily, uh, haven't had a mental health issue, is, is what can you help them with in, in terms of preventing them having these issues and this whole kind of school called positive psychology and it's looking about giving people those tools which you know builds their resilience Th- things like physical exercise is known to have a positive effect uh, good nutrition good food and the whole thing about social networking social bonding uh, that's really important there's no silver bullet of all the shit but, but mm. more needs to be done to look at how you create those social relationship, social interaction on, on board um, and it's not an easy thing to do but I think there's more recognition now and, and like you know the role of the chief officers or, or the masters you know with, with increased communication you know almost walking around just checking on people's their, their states. Is it a double-edged sword though with you know particularly Collie you mentioned about uh, having a platform on board ships to be able to to vent and you know anonymously the first thing that seafarers will want to know after salary and how long their trip is will be how much internet will they get each month and some people think that the answer to improving mental health at sea is to give oodles and oodles of of gigabytes per seafarer but then on the flip side you then have an environment at sea where as soon as you clock off you go to your cabin and you talk to your family which is great but then how are your crew members supposed to know when you're not yourself? How are you supposed to build that social environment where you look out for each other? I happen to know that one of the um, the mental health cases that was reported to the UK P&I Club was actually the flip side of that. It was connectivity that had a hand in the, the seafarer's ultimate suicide because he was away at sea, he went on Facebook and um, via Facebook he found out that his wife was having an affair with him and he ended up taking his own life. 
so in that way, actually, sometimes I do believe there is an argument for for out of sight is out of mind. Um, a colleague of mine, he worked on submarines for most of his career, and he said that it was actually better that they didn't know what was going on at home because there was there was people he worked with and who had awful things going on. They didn't find out about it until he was they were back on land, and it was better that way. I suppose from my my experience is I when I went to sea or every time that I go to sea, it's a question which my family always ask is, if something happens to you know a loved one or, or something worth talking about, do I want to know? And my answer is always yes, mm. because the last thing I want is to come home to find out that you know someone has, has passed away or you know the house has burned down mm-hmm. or something. You know. But you also, know. I think you know, we could probably talk quite a long time about connectivity, and I, and I, and I think the thing is the generation going to see now they expect it uh, and it is about how it's managed it's not to be, treat, treat people as, as children I mean I, I remember talking to one tank operator who who you know this whole idea of having the internet just in the mess room and he was saying well look, you know would you like to have someone leaning over your shoulder when you're talking to your partner or your kids before the internet you know there were books and dvds and so you know, what a seafarer did in their cabin and their rest period, you know, they could have been up all night reading War and Peace mm. or something. So it, it is, you know, having this kind of d- discussion and, 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 and there is research being done uh, at, the, at the moment on this. But I think, I think the other thing about, you know, problems being brought along, uh, brought to, to sea is, you know, again, the other side of it, if you're leaving home and, and one of your you know, children are ill and then actually finding out they're a lot better, they've been to the doctors, etc. So, so there's another side to it too as well. But I yeah, think. I think, um, I think, yeah, I agree it could be a double-edged sword, this connectivity thing. We hear about people going off to their cabins and just being isolated because they're, they're basically on their, their social media channels and they're not really socialising um, with their crew members. We shouldn't forget the importance of having a social hub on board. Um, you know, a room where people can mix with each other and perhaps, you know, watch TV together, play games together. That is is really, really vital to have that human interaction. There are other issues about, um, you know, to the extent to which there's common languages on board, perhaps to which each time a seafarer joins a ship, is he joining a, a ship full of strangers or is he part of a sort of fixed crew coming back on, replacing another fixed crew and think about the I think there's recent research being carried out on the benefits of having, you know, a sort of fixed shift system where the people join together and leave together, then rejoin together, etc., etc. And the benefits of that, you know, perhaps it's time now to actually have some real scientific and rigid research into the causes of these mental health problems and suicides. Mm-hmm. I think having that that pattern, um, particularly of crew, makes a huge difference. I know that when I I did join my cadetship, I worked for a tanker company and I spent time on two different vessels, but the captain was the same, and there was about a year and a half between those ships. And um, when I joined the vessel, and I saw that it was um, that it was Niku, it was like a light bulb moment had switched. It took away so many anxieties, so many pressures. Staying with one company and having regular rotations rather than constantly changing from ship to ship to ship where you're needed yeah, will yeah. make a huge difference. I think it's important that ship owners buy into these concepts because it's a win-win situation. If the crews, if, if the company look after the crew and the crew is happy, then that will be a win-win situation for the ship owner as well because it will be more profitable, there will be less mental health problems, less sickness issues. Where does the responsibility lie then in terms of the social life on board? If you have an individual that always wants to be in touch at home, Whatever company they are, they work for, they'll always have that that idea that they, you know, want to be on their phone, want to be talking to their loved ones. Is it is it the chief mate, the chief engineer? Is it the master? His responsibility to step in and say, 
every Saturday from five till nine, we will socialise, sing karaoke, eat some food, whatever. It, is, is, is it their job to make sure that that environment on board is sociable? Perhaps the company should have a policy and basically nominate an officer on a senior officer on board to make sure that these things happen. So not necessarily one size fits all, but perhaps there should be some guidelines produced and um, you know for companies to implement those guidelines, you know within their own policies and procedures, uh, and and recognise an officer on board who should be responsible for for making sure that there is social interaction on board. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean I, I think. Sometimes these things don't just happen. I think I think you do need to have have the space and some some, some guidelines if you want to, to make them happen. And again, you you hear of seafarers who you know you know older ones who've been at sea for a while. You know, on a Saturday night they all got together or celebrated people's birthday. And and then you know the issue about alcohol on board as well. I mean, obviously controlled and everything else. But that that was seen as a way of people. You know, getting together after a meal, I think that does need to, to be to be looked at. Having alcohol on board really does bring people together. Being able to share a drink, it has a, a huge, it makes a huge difference. My my experience is that there's some companies that have a complete zero tolerance policy, and there's a drugs and alcohol policy. I think really, yeah, that the, the, there is a role for that facilitating socialisation on board as long as it's taken responsibly. So, as a, as a final thought, then. If you view me as an individual I've never been to sea before and I'm about to join my first vessel, for example, what, what services are there available to me which, which, which you know of, which you work directly with or which companies should um, promote and colleges should promote to say that for, if I were to feel that I wanted to talk to someone, who can I speak to? Yeah, well, can I just say that Nautilus International has um, a helpline called Nautilus 24-7, which is actually run by Roger's organisation, Ice One. So basically, we outsource that function to them. They have a, an excellent, um, trained and motivated multilingual staff. Yeah, as Ice One, we run Seafair Help with international um, confidential 24-hour helpline for, for all seafarers and, and their families as well. Um, all, all over the world and I mean there are other services in, in ports that are not in every port but I think in 450 or ports all over the world there are seafarer centres and well, welfare workers and chaplains there's also other helplines there's one from Indian seafarers run by New Sea there's a helpline in Australia called Hunterlink and I think there's the uh, the big white wall which the seafarers hospital society run um, in, in the UK for I think it's for all UK seafarers or seafarers are in UK ports. So there's quite a range of kind of services um, um, available. And Holly, from the Chamber of Shipping uh, as well, I know that they've done a lot of work in gathering the information and, and the... Um... Yes, um, well, um, earlier this year I um, created a mini-site called the Seafarer Mental Health Repository, which aims to kind of overcome the very fragmented approach that um, shipping has, the shipping industry has taken towards providing support and making support services um, um, available. It's just an index of everything that's available, everything we found, and every time something new comes up, I update it. So there's a section for just UK only, and also there's a section for international, so services that are available internationally. Uh, it's not only about support, it's about guidance for companies who are looking to, to write their own guidelines or um, make use of best practices. So there's also a repository of um, best practices on there as well. As comprehensive a overview of, um, of everything that's been produced around mental health and mental wellness. The Seafair Mental Health 
repository is ukchamberofshipping.com forward slash mental dash health. Okay, great. We'll put all of these links into the bio for this episode and we'll also uh, promote it regularly on uh, social media. Um, Can I just say as well, though, is that I can't overemphasise the importance of seafarers being members of a trade union as well, because uh, I've been working at, uh, with Nautilus for uh, 11 years and I've seen a wide variety of problems which seafarers have brought to the union and we've helped them bounce the ideas off my colleagues and come up with a solution or help them in connection with dealing with the company or the ship owner in, in ways that it's impossible to imagine a seafarer on their own being able to handle those particular problems. So as a final thought, you know, mental health in the industry is something which is very close to my heart and if you are a seafarer and you are listening, I'd say talk to your crew, socialise with your crew, get to know them. You know, Not only will you make friends for life, but you'll be able to spot when they're, they're unhappy, when they need help, and they can do the same for you. And never forget that there's always someone there that you can talk to wherever you are in the world, uh, any time of day. Thank you for listening to The Shipping Exchange. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, it would be great if you could leave us a comment and subscribe for future episodes. You can also find us across all of social media and at our website, and the links can be found below in the bio. And we hope that you can join us again soon.